You're listening to Weekend Recap with Pastor Kent Nottingham. To hear the full message and many more, visit calvarytlh.com slash teachings. We're in James chapter 5. We're looking at James' final words of encouragement. See, James wants to end this letter with his Jewish believers in Jerusalem and actually scattered all over the world with encouragement. And I hope it'd be encouragement for you today as well. These Christians were facing all kinds of various trials. They were facing persecution. They were impoverished. And great injustice was meted out to them. And James comes with a word of encouragement for these believers who are having it really rough. The Bible never promises that trials, persecution, impoverishment, injustice will be settled on earth in our own lifetime. But it does promise that they will be rectified justly and adequately. So since it's not in this lifetime, James says, just be patient. For you can count on it. It will be at the second coming of Christ. That's when all accounts will be settled. All that might have been going through at the hand of injustice, a day's coming when all accounts will be settled. So we're encouraged. Hang in there, Christian. Be patient, says James. Christ is coming. It says in verse 7 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he's encouraging us to be patient. It's all going to end up in our favor. That's number one. There's not only a biblical reason to be patient with Christ's return, but there's also an agricultural reason to be patient. Because if you have a hard time with patience, don't ever become a farmer. For he knows the process best. His life is not measured in days or weeks or even months, but it's in seasons. The farmer deals with drought. He deals with winter snows and winds and severe weather. That's sort of like his trials of his persecution, his injustice, so to speak. And yet, the one thing the farmer cannot do is hurry the seasons. He endures through each one. His one necessary virtue is patience. And the question is, what season are you in? Are the kids driving you crazy? Well, that season will end because they will grow up and they'll have their own families. You know, the job, you can't stand your job. Well, there's a season where that's going to end. It'll be the retirement time. And so there's all kinds of things we can look at when it comes to this area. But with the farmer, he says in due time, the appointed weather comes along and the seeds germinate, they grow, they flower, and they produce the harvest. Everything proceeds at a slow pace. And ultimately, all is in the hands of God. So James adds in this agricultural reason for patience as he builds on encouraging them. For as it's worked out in the farmer's favor, so it will work out in our favor. So, with the coming of the Lord and the illustration of the farmer, he says to his readers, you also be patient. Now, I don't do good with this. I'm the type of person that when I'm driving, instead of sitting and stop traffic and waiting patiently for cars to start moving in, I will detour someplace else. It may take me longer, but I like to keep moving. I am very impatient just to sit there and just to wait. I want to keep moving. You know, and that's the same thing is, and sometimes I find myself so impatient, you know, with somebody going slower than the required speed limit. I almost can just flip out when I see things like that happening. (laughs) So I need prayer, and many of us need prayer because we're impatient. We live in a very fast society. Everything is very, very fast. And listen, the Lord knows this about us. So his remedy to help us or help me and help my patients is giving us kids to raise. I mean, having kids and raising kids is where patients can be developed. So James' encouragement is to just be patient. It's all going to work out in our favor 
guaranteed. There's a day of reckoning for those people to understand. Verse 9 goes on to say this, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So he's pulling an example for us from the prophets. These men were reviled. These men were persecuted for speaking the truth. Yet they patiently endured the suffering and hardship that they faced. Jesus tells us on this, in the Sermon on the Mount that we should be exceedingly glad when we are persecuted. Like the prophets, he said, that happened to them in the same way. And so the thing is, is that, that the promise is it's all going to end in our favor. No doubt about it. The second thing James wants to encourage us in is to be a person that keeps his word. Verse 12 says, uh, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. So James is encouraging us. When we say yes, then yes it is. When we say no, then no it is. And how often for moms and dads or grandparents or grandmoms, whatever the case may be, you know, have we say no to our kids or to our grandkids, but they, we turn right around and they talk us out of it with promises that they're going to do, and then we say yes. We might even tell them no, and they don't listen. We say no again, and they don't listen. We say no again, we don't listen. And then we may have a threatening no, you know, don't make me get up from this table. Or when we swear at them, I swear I'm going to take the wooden spoon to you. I swear you will be in your room for the whole night. James says don't swear. Your yes is yes. Your no is no. And may that be final. But people do swear. People swear on their mother's grace. People you know, say, loan me $10. I swear to God I'll pay you back next week. You know, As God is my witness, I make this oath. No, James says don't do that. Let your yes be yes. Your no be no. He wants us to be the type of person in conduct and behavior that when you say yes, it's trustworthy. When you say no, it's trustworthy. A person who has to swear is one you really can't trust because his yes is a yes and his no is a no. That's why he's having to swear. Swearing shows an inconsistency in our walk. And remember, life lines up with our walk and our talk. So we're encouraged. Yes is yes. Your no is no. The third thing James encourages in is to pray in all moods. In verse 13, it says, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So if you're in a trial being persecuted or afflicted because of some injustice, instead of murmuring or groaning, James encourages us to pray instead of complaining or grumbling against someone or being impatient. If you're in traffic, don't sit there and just grumble and complain about the traffic. Just start praying. He's trying to help us in our patience that it's all going to be in our favor in the long run anyway. Just pray. If you're in a good mood, remember to sing psalms, he says. Sing unto the Lord can be our prayer. So whatever our mood may be emotionally, we're, we're to pray, direct our mood to God in prayer. When you're sad, pray. When you're bummed out, pray. When you want to grumble, pray. When you're happy, pray. When you're, you're, you're thrilled, pray. All through any given day, we can be happy or we can be sad. And that's why Paul probably tells us to pray without ceasing. And James is backing the same thing up right here. The fourth thing is he's encouraging us to ask for prayer when we are 
sick. And this is talking about a physical sickness. And it says this in verse 14. It says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And he has condemned, he has committed sins. Well, he will be forgiven. So this is physical sickness right here. And it's really serious physical sickness because it says, let them pray over him. And it's in reference that they're laying down. They're on their sick bed. They're bedridden. It could be their deathbed. See, whatever the case, because of weakness and feebleness, inability to work, laying down, gives us a real strong indication this is really serious physical sickness. And this goes beyond just a cold or a heart or a headache or a backache or a sinus problem. This is someone who is really sick. And it's really hard to be patient when you're really sick. And it's not to downplay those other things like a cold, a headache, or backache, or sinuses or anything like that. But it's to point out that when they call for the elders, in this case, the elders show up at the house. That's where they'd be probably laying down. In our case, it would be at somebody's house or maybe in the hospital or in hospice. But it's an act of faith for you who are afflicted, you who are sick, you who are lying down, you who are really going through it are encouraged you to call. You're to call. If the church hears that you're sick and the elders come over without you calling and asking, well, that's nice of them to do that, and you would be very much appreciating it. But if you call for them to come, that is faith. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Your faith, the elders praying, their faith, anointing with oil, a contact of faith. If the elders come over without you asking, then what role does faith on your part play? None. Zero. I mean, sure, the elders need to pray by faith and the prayer of faith because God can heal them. And that's important. And the anointing of oil, like I said, is just a point of contact. So you have three acts of faith taking place there. You have the person who is sick calling the elders, exercising faith, believing that when they come, they're going to pray over them. He's going to heal them. The elders, their act of faith by praying for them in the name of the Lord. And then the oil is like a contact, a place where you just, you're making contact. Like when, you know, the woman touched the helm of Jesus's garment, that was a point of contact for her. Many people say, I need to get to church today. That's a point of contact. I need to get to the altar today. That's a point of contact. The, th the fifth thing that James says right here is he encourages us to have a friend to pray with and share our struggles with. He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And so he's saying, confess our trespasses, our faults, our struggles, our failures. Listen, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, listen, that you, don't, you barely know, you don't even really know them that well, but they look at you going, hey, it looks like you're struggling with something. Go ahead. Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me your sin. Tell me your trespasses. You know, no, 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 don't do that. If you're struggling, you know there are people or a person that you trust that you can go up to, you know, and say, hey, man, keep me in prayer. I'm struggling in this area of sin, man. I, I need your, your help. It's a humble honesty before them because as a church, we're a hospital. We never want to become a country club. We want to stay as a hospital. We are sinners till the day we die. And we're going to have struggles. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to face all kinds of things. And to have somebody there that will stand by you and pray with you is powerful. You know, when two or more come together and agree together and pray, you know, it says that it will be granted unto them. Jesus makes that promise to us. And so James is making a point in how important prayer is when we are going through difficult times. 
It could be injustice. It could be sickness. It could be trials. It could be persecution. It could be struggling with sin. Pray. Have others stand with you in that prayer in that particular time. And he says, but it's because of our righteousness that it avails in that way. I like that. We can have prayer that avails much. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're happy. Prayer from the elders when you're sick. Confess and pray one to another to be healed of sin or whatever's going on. Just pray. Be effective and fervent about it. Believe God can work. Have the prayer of faith. It's not like some superhero of saints that pray that God will listen to. No, any one of us can because we have the righteousness of Christ. God knows we're not perfect, but we have the righteousness of Christ. He gives a great example of Elijah. We look at him as like this super, super saint because, man, he prayed and things happened. But James points out that he was a man with a light nature like ours. He put his pants on one leg at a time. He is no different than any one of us. But he prayed and he affected the physical world because of his righteousness that was in God. We have a righteousness in Jesus Christ in prayer. James is encouraging us, we can affect the world around us, just like Elijah did, who had a like nature like ours. He struggled like ours, but he prayed, and he prayed fervently each and every time. And then it says, the sixth thing, the final thing that he says right here is to lead, encourage us to lead others back who have drifted. Now, look at verse 19. It goes on to say this. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from his error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So James ends with encouraging us to encourage others who have wandered from the truth. A person afflicted, a person persecuted, uh, a trial, a sin, injustice can just have people throw the towel in on Christianity. I'm done with this. I'm through with this. The Christian walk is just too much, and maybe they just need your encouragement to come back. You could share with them what James talks about the farmer and just being patient. It's all going to end up in our favor. We can give them a hope. We can give them an encouragement, and maybe they will come back. Maybe they'll turn around from drifting. Encourage them that Jesus is going to come and settle all accounts and give rewards to all of us. Just whatever it is that you can encourage them in just to continue to walk with the Lord. But to get your brother to turn back, notice how wonderful it is. You save them from a multitude of sin. You ha but you have to be careful in how you do it. You go to them. You talk to them. No one else. Because sin takes its toll on people. It takes its toll on us and our soul and our emotions. I mean, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in church and all of a sudden you notice you have not seen a certain person in a while? You start wondering, are they still coming to church or are they going someplace else or have they just stopped going to church altogether? You might even walk up to someone and say, hey, have you seen so-and-so? And they go, hey, come to think of it, I haven't seen them in a while. You might even go up to one of the pastors or elders or deacons and ask them if they still go to church here. They say, I, I don't know. I, I gosh, come to think of it, I haven't seen them either. Then, do you just forget about it? Do you tell the pastors, elders, deacons, they ought to, you know, give this guy a call? Or you just thought, oh, I just kind of gave off my responsibility. I got to let them know about it. Let them do something about it. But you have to consider that God, by way of his Holy Spirit, put that brother or sister on your heart for a reason. He's calling you to restore one that has wandered. God has put you on a, search, a spiritual search and rescue mission. 
That drifting of a brother or sister is not just their problem. It's mine too. It might not be a person that you've seen at church. It may be somebody you haven't seen at your home group, just kind of left your home group, or somebody, in your, a family member that you know. It might be an ungodly relationship that they're in or the pursuit of ungodly priorities. To be one to bring them back from a departure is not easy. Matter of fact, it's kind of awkward. It doesn't feel comfortable. But all you got to do is just encourage them. Because we're always taught just to mind our own business. Stay out of the affairs of other people. Why do that? Why confront something that can cause a conflict or cause a scene? This is kind of the way we're raised. But here you have to understand this. We're Christian. That's our brothers and sisters. That's who we're going to spend all of eternity with. And he wants us to call them back. It really doesn't have to be awkward. We're saying, hey, man, love to see you back at church. Hey, I'd love for you to come back. It's, you're basically encouraging them. You're encouraging them. And you never know. They may end up coming back. It's part of our calling that we are encouraged to do is to seek and restore spiritual wonders. And this is not just the response of the church leader. James is addressing the brethren, that is, brothers and sisters. This is actually the pinnacle of encouragement. So James finishes this letter encouraging the people, encouraging us in our difficulties, in our trials, our persecutions. There's a day of reckoning, a day all accounts will be settled. Just wait. Be patient. And his encouragement is to us all.